Hi, and welcome to the Saturday, December 7th Championship Weekend Edition of the Land Grant Holy Land Tailgate Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Tamanini. Every Ohio State football game day this season, I have been kicking off your morning with all of the details that you need to be prepared for that day's contest, whether you are watching the game at the shoe, road tripping to an away game, or enjoying it from the comforts of your own home. However, I have not been doing it all on my own, as every week I have been joined by 610 WTVN sports reporter, the legendary Lori Schmidt, for her unique insights into the game with a peek under the hat. This week will be no different, although it will be the last time for a few weeks that we do this. Because tonight at 8 p.m., the top-ranked Ohio State Buckeyes, who are 12-0 on the season, will face the Wisconsin Badgers for the second time this season. Wisconsin comes into the game with a 10-2 record, 7-2 in the Big Ten. This time, the contest will be at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, the home of the Indianapolis Colts, and it will be played for the Big Ten Championship. The game will officially kick off at 8.17 p.m. Eastern Time and will be seen on Fox. On the call for the game will be Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt providing color commentary, and the All-American woman, Jenny Taft, will be reporting from the sidelines. As always, the game can be heard on both 97.1 FM and 1460 AM in Columbus, where the voice of the Buckeyes, Paul Keels, will be on the call, along with Ohio State legend Jim Lachey supplying color commentary and Matt Andrews on the sideline reporting. The temperature in Indianapolis at kickoff will be a crisp 36 degrees, but it doesn't matter. It won't impact the game because Lucas Oil Stadium is a dome. If Ohio State season progresses as we think it will, they will not play another game outside for the rest of the season. The line for the game opened with Ohio State minus 17 at Bovada and has fallen just a bit to 16 and a half. But as of recording time, almost every other sports book has it at 16 points if the hook is important in your decision making process. The over-under for the game is 57 points across the board, so you can get it anywhere your heart desires. After failing to cover in consecutive weeks against Rutgers and Penn State, Ohio State did beat the spread last week against that team up north and also hit the over. Back on October 26th, when Ohio State and Wisconsin met for the first time this season, the Buckeyes also covered that spread, but the 38-7 victory wasn't enough to hit the over. Last week, Wisconsin did cover in their 38-17 victory over Minnesota, but it was just the second time that they had done so since October 12th. We will have much more on the Badgers' record on the season shortly, but first, on Friday morning, the Ohio State Athletic Department released this week's availability report, and here's essentially what it said. That's right, other than the players who have been unavailable for multiple weeks or the entire season, there was nothing new to report. Not even a measly little game-time decision. So, starting slot cornerback Sean Wade will be back for the Buckeyes after missing the game against the Wolverines last week. Quarterback Justin Fields will be playing despite a bulkier brace on his left knee than normal. The one contributor that we actually do know for sure won't play in this game is starting captain and defensive end Jonathan Cooper, who played in his fourth and final game of the season last week in Ann Arbor and will sit out the rest of the 2019-2020 season in order to maintain his eligibility eligibility for next year. In a press conference yesterday, Ryan Day did say that Cooper will be traveling with the team for the remainder of the season, but he will not dress either today or for the playoffs. His season is officially done. So other than Cooper, just for tradition's sake, let's run through the players who are not available to play. They are wide receiver Cameron Babb, running back Marcus Crowley, 
Offensive lineman Gavin Cup, defensive tackle Noah Donald, wide receiver Elijah Gardner, safety Ronnie Hickman, H-back CJ Saunders, and defensive tackle Teron Vincent. Since the Buckeyes last met the Badgers, the Cheeseheads have run off four straight wins. A two-point victory over Iowa, a 16-point victory over Nebraska, in which they gave up 277 yards rushing to the Huskers. Woof. A 45-24 win over Perdont, and last week's 38-17 beating of P.J. Flex Golden Gophers. The Wisconsin team has been far more offensively potent since nearly getting skunked by the Buckeyes in the rain in Ohio Stadium in late October, but we will get more into that momentarily. On the season, Wisconsin is averaging 35.8 points per game, good for 17th nationally, and they gave up just 14.6 points per outing, good for 9th in the country. Of course, for reference, the Buckeyes are putting up 49.9 points and allowing just 11.8, first and fourth best nationally. Okay, we will get more into the numbers in the matchup shortly, but before we do, we're going to take a short break, and then when we come back, we will be joined by 610 WTVN's legendary sports reporter, Lori Schmidt. Lori, welcome to Championship Weekend. We are recording on Friday, so we are just precious hours away from the start of the game that we are all waiting for, the Pac-12 championship game. So how are you going to be celebrating uh, the Oregon-Utah game tonight? I will definitely, definitely be thinking about, well, not Utah and who? <laughs> or Utah and Oregon, yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm yeah. kidding. Yes, I, I know. But uh, yeah, that that's not the team in green that I root for. No, that's true. Yeah, yeah. you're used to green and white, not green and yes. whatever other random colors Phil Knight can come up with. Neon yellow. Yeah, very good. Highlighter well, pink. <laughs> I would not be surprised. Have they had pink in a jersey for like breast cancer awareness? I wouldn't be surprised if they have. Actually, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and you know, if if you're going to have a shtick, it needs to be your shtick and yeah. not a, a duplicate of anyone else's. And I think Oregon does the uniform thing better than anyone else in the country when it comes to, you know, wearing 20 different uniforms in, in 12 games. So I, I will give them that. The, they can have that. That's all theirs. Yeah, I, I don't really get into the whole uniform thing. Like, it doesn't bother me, like, when Ohio State wears throwbacks. Like, I just – that's not super interesting to me, but that's just me. But – um yeah, I'm I'm all for oh, people. Go, go ahead, go ahead. What? Why am I wrong? I know it's. A, I, I don't have problems with the with the alternate uniforms, except I was watching those highlight videos this week of Ohio State, Michigan, and I just wanted them all to look the same. All the highlights from year yeah, to year to year, and the alternate that. uniforms in that game bothered me. Yeah, they've done that a couple times in 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 recent years, haven't they? Like they had the one really weird one um, a few seasons ago that was like a gray, like a charcoal gray, right? I just remember the stormtrooper look. <laughs> yeah. Either way, all right, Larry. Let's talk about this week's Big Ten championship game as Ohio State will be taking on Wisconsin for the second time in the season. That was about six weeks ago when Ohio State beat the Badgers by a score of 38-7 to back on October 26th. Since then, things have changed quite a bit for uh, the Wisconsin team, especially on offense. Where does that start for them from your perspective? 
up front. Um, it starts up front, and that affects everything else that goes on on offense. Uh, they ha- they gave up five sacks when Ohio State played them. Chase Young, as you might recall, was a human wrecking ball that game. Uh, just wreaked havoc on, on Wisconsin's offensive line. But since then, they have given up fewer sacks in all the games they've played since Ohio State than they gave up in that one game. Oh, so they wow. gave up five against the Buckeyes. They've given up four since, and they've only given up one in the past three games. So they've buckled down up front. Okay. That's allowed Jonathan Taylor to do even better than he's done. Uh, he averaged 4.8 yards per carry in October, partly because of that 52 yards he had against Ohio State. Since then, he, it's been 7.4 yards per carry. So he's doing a little bit better. And it is freeing Wisconsin up to do some, shall we say, more creative things offensively in that they're running more wildcat and they're running these fly sweeps that is allowing their wide receivers to make an impact in the rushing game. They actually have three rushing touchdowns scored by wide receivers in the month of November. So I think for them it starts up front. Uh, New rule. If you are going to use what is – affectionately referred to as the wildcat it must be adjusted to match your own mascot so wild badger or wild weasel or something i think is how it needs to be referred to moving forward for wisconsin that's just point of personal preference there is part of me that loves that and then there is part of me that wonders is there such thing as a domesticated badger uh, <laughs> somewhere I in Wisconsin if anywhere it is in Wisconsin I, and, then, <laughs> That's and then I guess I mean Ohio State will, wouldn't need to do that because they have a running quarterback but would they be the wild nuts I don't anyway moving on um so Laura you mentioned the <laughs> <Yeah>. fact <laughs> um you mentioned the fact that Jonathan Taylor has improved tremendously since Ohio State bottled him up for the second time in his career and that was a point that was a sticking point for a lot of folks earlier this week when Jonathan Taylor was named the Big 10 running back of the year even though JK Dobbins has essentially the same stats if not better depending on which category you're looking at um Taylor has more total yards but has more total rushes JK Dobbins has um, a higher yards per carry and they're Jonathan Taylor has one more rushing touchdown. So essentially though they're pretty much having the exact same but against the best defense that Jonathan Taylor faced he got shut down while J.K. Dobbins against the best defense that he faced, which was Wisconsin in terms of the running game. He had like 150-something yards. How do you expect them to change that approach for Jonathan Taylor to make sure that he is able to run the ball against Ohio State the second time around? I think that they will continue doing what they've done the past month, which is to, like I said, get creative in, in the running game, to more effectively block up front, uh, I think Taylor will come in motivated, but then again, he should have been motivated for his previous matchup with yeah. Ohio State, uh, because Ohio State had shut him down once before. Two of his worst performances in his collegiate career have come at the hands of the Buckeyes. And I, I really don't know what they can do to avoid going over three if Ohio State plays like it has played all season long with a couple minor exceptions. 
Yeah. What's interesting to me is, is that this is their bread and butter. This is the thing that they are known for, yet against the best teams that they played. It is often shut down. But what's interesting is since Ohio State played Wisconsin and essentially shut down their entire offense, save for one drive, um, not only has Jonathan Taylor improved dramatically, but so is quarterback Jack Cohn. Yeah, his his completion percentage has dipped a little bit, and and that's the thing he is, you know, mostly known for because he completes uh, passes at an obscene rate. That's dipped a little bit, but you would expect that in the month of November with the weather, and uh, you know they did face with uh, Iowa in that month, so uh, it's not like they've been playing all softy defenses, um, but he is averaging for more yards per attempt. He has completed more touchdown passes in the month. Uh, he's got a little bit better protection, as I mentioned. So, yes, the, the, it's not like the improvement at the running game has come at the expense of the passing game, which you sometimes see with teams. They'll, they'll give up one to, to benefit the other. But this seems to be sort of an overall improvement on behalf of the uh, Wisconsin Badgers. What about on defense? What have they done to not only change? They obviously changed their focus on uh, offense in, after Ohio State shut them down and made some substantive changes. What have they done on the other side of the ball to hopefully, potentially, from their point of view, stop Ohio State from just running roughshod over their over their defensive unit? Interestingly, I guess from what the Buckeye football players tell us, they've gone to a lot more four down front than when they were facing Ohio State. So they were using three down linemen against the Buckeyes, but since then they've incorporated a lot more four down linemen sets. Uh, and so that's something Ohio State expects to face uh, when they face them tomorrow. Another thing that I was really taken aback by a little bit by what Ryan Day said earlier this week was he got a little, I don't know if emotional or a little feisty about the fact that a lot of people have been crediting the fact that they have been so dominant this season just to the fact that his team is really, really talented. And he thought that that was kind of a backhanded compliment, not only to his team, but also to his coaching staff. Uh, that was a, a comment that came up in the Tuesday press conference, but right. I will draw your attention to the fact that he made very similar comments in a teleconference on Sunday where he was asked about uh, his team's versatility and the fact that that makes him his job as a play caller easier, the fact that he can make adjustments. And I'm assuming that that's true on the defensive side of the ball as well, because they have talent at all levels of the defense, totally. very similar to the fact that they have very well-rounded talent on offense. So they're just they're a team that can make adjustments. It's one of the things that makes playing a team a second time very interesting because he could, if he wanted to, throw out the previous game's game plan because he has the talent to go with a, a different look. So he was asked about that on Sunday, and he said, you know what, that's a thing that I think we don't get enough credit for. And he sort of went off at that point about how he thought that his team hasn't gotten enough credit for being smart and well-led and mature. He's not one of these coaches that is just, complaining about not getting good enough coverage, he's making a more nuanced point, which I find interesting, which is that they're not getting credit for all the things that they are actually the best at. Um, 
And he he really started sort of making that point on Sunday and carried it through to the Tuesday press conference. So this is clearly something that is stuck in his craw. And I find Ryan Day interesting in that he's fairly open talking about what he thinks. He's more interesting when he tells you what he feels. And that he does very a very little bit. I mean, he's he's open with it, but it doesn't come up very often. And when he lets that mask slip, when he's not merely talking to you or to you as a game planner, as a schemer, as a as a as a head coach, I think he's fascinating. And this was one of those times where he sort of let his feelings through, and it was a very very interesting part of the interviews this week. What 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 do you think it was that that spurred that for him? I mean, I, obviously, I understand your explanation as to why he said it, but do you think that this has been a narrative that people have been dismissing the? Co- I, I I just I guess I just don't understand. You hear so much about like Dabo Sweeney making up narratives just to you know, get his team motivated, saying that nobody thinks that they should be in the playoffs and they're a terrible team. I don't feel like that's this. I just don't know that I've heard this conversation so much that kind of dismissed the job that Ryan Day did and his coaching staff and the work that his players did. And they just said, well, they were really good in recruiting, so they're obviously really good. I just, I guess I was just a little surprised that I didn't feel like this was something that had been building, at least in the popular narrative. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense, but it also draws me back to a comment that Ryan Day made when he was hired, uh, where he said, you know, people ask me what happens if I lose a game, what happens if we lose to Michigan, and my response is, what if we don't? (laughs) I think this is something that he's kept on the back burner of his mind the entire season. I think that it's coming to the fore now because he can look at people and say, well, we didn't. <laughs> you know, you asked, what would happen if we lost? What would happen if we fell at Michigan? What would happen in all these scenarios? We didn't. I think he's saying, I, I told you so now, because he can. <laughs> that's that's yeah. why I think this came to the forefront this week. Who? So who is Ryan Day? Is he more of the pretty he's buttoned? He's Chris Holtman. I, he, look, he's Chris Holman. He's I, the nicest guy that will shove a shiv in your ribs to win a game. He's just—he's super. He's super great. He's an awesome human being. He will do whatever it takes. He will grind your face into the ground with cleats if that's what it takes to beat you. And he is super competitive, even while being super nice. I I want an entire somebody do an entire series. Make it a. A document. I don't know what it is. I want to know everything about these two coaches because they've come in at very similar you know times in their lives. Um, obviously, different careers, but similar times in their lives. They've had great success early on. Obviously, Chris Holtman's had a couple year uh, head start, but um, they do mirror each other so much. So I, I, I that's a wonderful comparison, and I, I'm really tickled that you uh, that you brought that up, Lori. But uh, okay, so let's get. I'd like to draw your tip just real quick. One thing that you said uh, earlier in, in these podcast series this year is that uh, the way that they relate to their players isn't the old school yeah. way either. And I think that's something that they have in common that's very important. Yeah, and it's funny because you, with both of them, 
and obviously coaching football and coaching basketball is a little different for a lot of reasons, especially yeah. the proximity yeah. to, to the referees. Um, so you see those interactions differently, but they both are fairly focused on the sidelines, but they both can get amped up in a hurry. We saw that quite a bit in the Ohio State basketball game against North Carolina, where Chris Holtman got, I don't know if I would, would use the word agitated, but he got he got excited um, with the referees a couple times, and, and it, it reminded me of a couple times we've seen that with, with Ryan Day. But that hopefully will be a conversation that we can have for the next, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years uh, with those two guys mm-hmm. um, uh, holding down the fort in their respective sports at Ohio State. But um, getting back to the game here, Lori, I, I want to wrap up uh, the conversation with um, a few notes about um, the team itself, the Ohio State team. For the first time really all year, we saw an offense significantly move the ball for an extended amount of time in the Michigan game. Uh, Shea Patterson was able to complete a ton of passes over the middle in the first half. Then, it towards the end of the first half, and then especially in the second half, um, the defense shut them down. Jeff Halfley talked about it in the Tuesday press conferences. that They don't wait till halftime to make adjustments. They made adjustments early on. But I did. Did anybody talk about this week the fact that that some that what Michigan was able to do is something that they are concerned about or something that they are constantly looking to approve? Were they just surprised? Was it a good plan? Because to me, that has always been the soft spot of the Ohio State defense was right there in the middle, um, getting away from the offensive line and keeping it in front of the DBs. That middle of the field, it was always going to be where teams could gain yards against what otherwise is a nearly flawless Buckeye defense. There was no expression of concern, um, partly because Wisconsin's offense is so different than sure. Michigan's, and Cone is a lot different quarterback than Shea Patterson. But Clemson and, and LSU. At- <laughs> but Clemson and LSU, Lori, that's where I'm, that's where my head is. I'm sorry, I'm overlooking the Badgers. I'm looking at the playoffs. <laughs> well, the the defense wasn't going there with questions yet this yeah, week, yeah. and I, I think that there's that there's sort of a feeling on the defense that to hold Michigan to 55 passing yards on something like four, four for, 24 for 24 passing, I yep. think it was. Four for 24. Um, in the second half indicates that that's a problem that they have really sort of solved and that a part of that problem was not having Sean Wade around and that Amir Reap uh, got more comfortable as the game went along and that by the end he was not only making an impact but a big impact and in getting an interception. So I think there's still a feeling of confidence on the defense's part, uh, despite what Michigan did in the first half. Um, so I don't think that their, their armor, that I don't feel like they feel that it's dinged. Uh, another note on the Ohio State defense that I'd, I'd like to bring up is um, that uh, they are four sacks away from setting the school record. Mm-hmm. And that was without having Chase Young for two games this year, so they might already have that by now yeah. if that hadn't happened. So uh, that this is a defense with a lot of confidence and is historically good in some ways. So, uh, and, and I think that's another thing that Ohio State has a sense of that Chase Young isn't going to be shut down um, and limited to two quarterback hurries or whatever it was again this year. Uh, you can throw three guys at him and and chip him and and have a you know always play the tight end on his side and still 
you're not going to limit him like that again. So I, I think that's another thing that Ohio State feels like they can hang their hat on. Yeah, I uh, it, it it worries me a little bit <laughs> against uh, Trevor Lawrence and, <laughs> and Joe Burrow. I'm not going to lie; that question was mostly for me, Larry. I'm just saying. Uh, Shea Patterson. Did you feel a little bit better since that was that was apparently what you were going for with that? No. A little bit of therapy? No, that did not. No, help at all. you don't feel better. Okay. No. Um, okay. Look, I'm very confident about Ohio State's football team as a fan, uh, but Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence are much better than Shea Patterson, as are their receivers better than Michigan. So we'll get to those bridges when and if they uh, need to be crossed. But uh, anyway, Lori, uh, thank you so much for for taking the time today obviously this is our last uh one of these podcasts for a few weeks assuming ohio state gets to the college football playoff those games will happen on december 28th so that is post christmas and then there'll be like another two weeks or something it's a weird week and a half um kind of thing i think they don't play until like uh the i don't know is it the 13th of january or something um it's really a long break this year so um, we'll have a couple more of these hopefully but uh they're gonna be a while Lori. so uh thank you for doing this i know you and i will talk but officially on the podcast airwaves uh have a merry christmas and a happy new year and uh, i'm looking forward to getting back uh to doing this for, uh, hopefully for the playoffs on december 28th likewise i if you're listening i really really appreciate it uh, and Matt does too. I know he does. You're very important to us, uh, and we thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to tune in to the best Buckeye coverage on your radio dial on 610 WTVN before and after the game. We will be back with a look inside the numbers and a prediction after this quick break. Welcome back. This is the part of the show in which I normally talk about the all-time series history between Ohio State and that week's opponents. So, out of obligation, Ohio State has a 60-18-5 all-time record against Wisconsin, dating back to 1913. But, we talked about all of that before the first game, so let's just focus on the history for these two teams in the Big Ten Championship game against each other and individually. Today marks the Badgers' sixth visit to the conference title game, the most of any Big Ten team, while it is just the Buckeyes' fifth. Wisconsin represented the erstwhile leaders' division in the first two championship games, defeating Michigan State and Nebraska. Since the move to the East and West divisions, this is the fourth time that they've been the Western champions, but as you may know, the West has yet to win a Big Ten title in five tries. After Luke Fickle's lost season in the first year of the title game in 2011, and then being undefeated yet ineligible in Urban Meyer's first campaign in 2012, the Buckeyes have a 3-1 record in the past six years in regards to the Big Ten title. They painfully lost to Michigan State in 2013, but then followed it up with what is still one of the most mind-boggling contests that I have ever seen in 2014 with Cardale Jones of the Buckeyes lighting up the Badgers to the tune of 59 to nothing en route to securing the first ever college football playoff championship. The two teams met again in this game in 2017 when Ohio State won a much closer 27-21 contest, and then last year OSU defeated Northwestern 45-24 to win the Big Ten title. If Ohio State wins today, they will become the first Big Ten team to ever three-peat in the title game history. Please don't sue me, Pat Riley. 
Moving to the analytics, as they have been for the majority of the season, the Buckeyes remain number one in the SP Plus rankings from ESPN's Bill Connolly. They are also still the only team in the country to have both their offense and defense in the top five of the rankings, but their defense dipped a bit after the Michigan game, now coming in at second, while Georgia has moved up to first. OSU's offense remains fourth in the country, while the special teams are 18th. Wisconsin is SP Plus's 10th ranked team, coming in with the 11th best offense and the 14th best defense. Connolly's projections have OSU winning by a score of 34 to 20, but as I've said before, SP Plus has undervalued Ohio State's offense all season, so take that for what it's worth. SP Plus does give the Buckeyes a 79% win probability. Football Outsiders F Plus also has Ohio State as a top ranked team in the country and has the Badgers at 7th. The College Football Nerds computer model projects Ohio State to win 36-17, with the Buckeyes outgaining the Badgers by 1.22 yards per carry, 1.46 yards per pass, and an average of 1.45 yards per play. The most fun predictions model to play with, the NCAA Game Simulator, spits out an average score of 29.4 points for the Buckeyes to 15.8 for Wisconsin, thanks to 6,619 simulations as of recording time. Of those, 17.1% of those games were decided by less than 5 points, and only 2.8% of them went to overtime. The simulator had Ohio State winning 79.2% of the games, and winning by more than 20 points in nearly 38% of them. Now, moving on to Wisconsin's season stats, you should be familiar with the names and the stats for the Badgers by now. But, just as a refresher, running back Jonathan Taylor is the second leading rusher in terms of yards per game in the country, coming into the contest at 146.75 yards. He is second only behind Oklahoma State's Chuba Hubbard. The real OSU's J.K. Dobbins is fourth at 138.08 yards per game. Despite JT's success, the Badgers are just the 15th most prolific rushing offense in the country at 243.92 yards. For comparison, Ohio State is fourth, behind only the three service academies, with 280.58 yards per game. On defense, the Badgers are sixth in terms of total yards allowed at 277, OSU is number one at 232.3, while Wisconsin is seventh nationally against the run and ninth against the pass. UW's quarterback Jack Cohn averages just 192.4 yards per game, the ninth most in the Big Ten, but no shade there as Justin Fields' 221.2 is good for just seventh. The difference, of course, is that Fields has thrown 37 touchdowns and just a single interception, while Cohn has just 17 touchdown passes and four INTs. Junior wide receiver Quintez Cephas leads the Badgers with 720 receiving yards and 6 TD receptions, and though he only has 201 yards catching the ball, Jonathan Taylor tailback does have 5 touchdown catches as well. On defense, the players to look out for are linebackers Chris Orr and Zach Bond, who are tied for the team lead with 11.5 sacks. Now, before I get into my prediction for the game, I want to run through the rest of the non-B1G championship games on the day. It is a packed slate. First at noon, number six, Oklahoma, and number seven, Baylor, will face off in the Big 12 championship game on ABC. And because of Utah's loss last night, one of these teams could end up being the number four team that Ohio State plays in the first semifinal. At the same time on ESPN, number 21 Appalachian State will play Louisiana for the Sun Belt title. 
At 3.30 on ABC, number 20, Cincinnati, and number 17, Memphis, will play for the second week in a row, this time for the American Athletic Conference Championship, and perhaps a berth in a New Year's Six Bowl. Then on CBS at 4 p.m., number 2 LSU will look to remain undefeated against number 4 Georgia in the SEC title game. LSU will likely need a pretty healthy victory to jump Ohio State in my estimation. At the same time, over on ESPN, the number 19 Boise State Broncos will face my favorite non-Buckeye team in the country, the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors, for the Mountain West title. Then at 7.30 p.m., number 3 Clemson will destroy, I mean play, number 23 Virginia for the ACC title on ABC. Anyway, back to Ohio State. Yes, I know that Wisconsin has played better since late October. Yes, I know Justin Fields will be hampered by his knee brace. Yes, I know that it is difficult to beat a team twice in one season. But I don't care. Uh, this game is being played indoors, as opposed to in a torrential downpour like it was the last time. And I think that Ryan Day and the Buckeyes have a lot of incentive to add on style points today in hopes of retaining that top ranking in the college football playoff that LSU was gunning for. So I don't see any reason to believe that this game will be any closer than it was the first time around. I do imagine, though, that Justin Fields won't run nearly as much as we've seen him been running through most of the season. But I bet you J.K. Dobbins picks up that slack, especially after he was snubbed for the conference's running back of the year award. I'd say Fields throws for 225 yards and three scores, but Dobbins has three scores of his own and 200 yards on the ground. I also think that Chase Young will get back into the sack column and notches two and a half this week as OSU's defense holds Jonathan Taylor to less than 75 yards of total offense. I will go Ohio State 42, Wisconsin 10. If that happens tomorrow at noonish Eastern time, we will find out that Ohio State will open up the college football playoff as the top seed and will play the Oklahoma Sooners in the Peach Bowl on December 28th. Little extra bonus prediction for you there. But keep in mind, noon tomorrow, ESPN, the college football playoff rankings will be announced. All right, that's all we have for today. As always, Land Grant Holy Land will have you covered before, during, and after the game. I will be matching buttons on Twitter during the contest, probably for the Ohio State basketball game at noon against Penn State as well. So please follow along and share your thoughts at LandGrant33, your social media home, for all of LandGrant Holy Land's Ohio State news, analysis, gifts, and sarcasm. You can follow our friend Lori Schmidt on Twitter at Lori Schmidt and her station at 610WTVN News. I am on Twitter at BWWMatt as well. And if you are not already, please subscribe to the Land Grant Holy Land's one-of-a-kind podcast network, where we not only bring you unique news, interviews, and analysis, but we've also got perspectives on sports and the Buckeyes unlike anything else in the podcasting universe. So, with all of that stuff now out of the way, there's only one thing left to say. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.